Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode brought to you by Yahoo Sports Canada. My name is Iman, and you guys already know the deal. Like, share, subscribe, leave a comment down below, especially if it's a positive one. I am joined by Aiden Moss. Aiden, how are you today? I am well, Iman. Thank you very much. It's beautiful and sunny out here on the West Coast. It is not beautiful and sunny over here in <laughs> Toronto. It is cold and rainy, but I'm glad you're enjoying the weather. Um, please tell everybody where they can find all of your work. I'm writing right now at the Raptors Republic. I typically have a weekly column now that the season's prematurely over. It's not so, but I, every once in a while, I throw some opinion pieces out there so you can go check me out and a bunch of other great writers on the site. Raptors Republic is great. Uh, okay, so guys, last week, me and Essa did the grading system and we started with the bench and it was really bleak because yes. the Raptors bench, uh, not great. But the Raptors starters, by the numbers, are actually not that bad. But I want to break it down individually. So today we will be grading each starter. I don't know if you're a tough teacher or uh, an easy one. I think I might be kind of easy. As I'm looking back at my grades, I'm like, eh, I'm kind of giving up more A's than I thought I would. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's start with the point guard and work our way up as we give the grades. So we're going to start off with Fred Van Vliet. And he's had kind of an up and down year, um, taking a step back maybe from the year before. If you had to put on your teacher hat, what grade would you give Fred Van Vliet for the 2022-2023 season? I just want to preface this all by saying that like it's kind of hard to evaluate these guys because, you know, the the talk all year has kind of been this they're individually great, but, you know, the parts don't equal the sum, blah, blah, blah. So I found it difficult to kind of parse them out. Do I put them in a vacuum? Do I do I think about how they make others better, et cetera, et cetera? So I want to just get that uh, out of the way and also say Very that fair. my my grades might be a little bit hard, but that's because deep down, you know, as a teacher with all this love and affection for this team, You're I had so such great expectations, yeah, you, you want, know, and you so everyone to achieve their highest. No, that's very fair. Exactly. And so it's a reflection of that. So very with that said, I gave Freddie a B and I know Nicer that might be me. harsh. What's Nicer that? than me. Oh, it was really okay. was yeah okay so okay. i'm i'm clearly the the hard-ass teacher here okay so you gave fred van vliet a b let's get into that so so why why did he get that grade if i'm his parent coming into you it's a parent teacher interview why did my son get this grade well i have to say i think i kind of hedged my bets a little bit because freddie is a is like a firebrand topic amongst raptor <laughs> fans um and there was a feeling I, we can dig into the numbers if we want, but for me, there was just a feeling this year with Freddie that sometimes you get with other players across the league where the more they score, the yeah. kind of less like worse off your team is. And that was the feeling I got all year. And that, you know, I want Freddie to be a point guard. And I think it's because, you know, we came from the legacy of Kyle, Kyle Lowry, whose bum was like the Atlas that held up the Raptors world, right? Like, you know, there was just this resilience and this, yeah, there's the commanding presence and Freddie lacked that. And, and he, he's, you know, he's more of a scorer first and um, you know, his scoring took a dip a little bit this year. Yeah. So did his efficiency. And I really was expecting him to be the playmaking distributing general that we have you know, now that he's kind of into his prime and become the secondary, I would say, leader of this team. And that wasn't the case. So I was kind of disappointed with that. 
And I think I think that's very fair. I I was disappointed with Fred VanVleet's season as a whole. I think there were some bright spots, and I think there were some some down spots as well. And I think people were far too harsh on Fred VanVleet. The fact of the matter is, yes. Even getting to 500 is not something that the Raptors do without Fred VanVleet. I think they would probably be a 20-win tweet team if that, uh, without a guy like Fred VanVleet commanding sort of the ship. But I, I completely agree with you in that when he does score more, we saw that back-to-back 43-point games, those happen to be losses. Granted, no Pascal Siakam. But um, I, I think I completely agree with what you're saying. But the way I sort of looked at it, and maybe I was being too harsh here, I was like, okay, I think last year Fred VanVleet had an A year. If I had to grade him in his all-star season, yeah. I would give that an A. And if I look at it this year, I'm like, he's gotten worse defensively, right? A large reason for why the Raptors defense really took a step back is, well, you have no rim protector for most of the year. And then your point of attack defenders are also really bad. And I think that does fall on Fred Van Vliet, who a year prior again would have been second on my ballot for all NBA, for all defensive team. Like he would have sort of been a second level guard. He could have very well made that team last year. Um, so he took a step back defensively and also took a step back offensively. That three-point shot, I think he's at 34% on the year. Um, that's not good. <laughs> so, like, you yeah. took two steps back. So I'm like, I'm going to put you back two grades. You get two letter grades down. And so I promoted him to a C. Um, wow. I'm, I'm fine going to C plus because I think he's so important to what the Raptors do. I know. I told you I was really harsh on Fred. Fred, I'm grading on a curve. Like, it, it, I was looking at my grades and I'm like kind of nice to Scotty and kind of mean to Fred which is like not very fair inverse of they Doug. both yeah. <laughs> they both took major step back uh this year but I think Fred just matters so much to what this team did they needed an all-star guard to pair alongside Pascal Siakam I think if Fred Van Vliet shot the ball well or Fred Van Vliet did not take such a major step back defensively especially at the start of the year because I do think those things rebounded as the year went on um we'd be talking about this chapter season completely different and I, I also think you have to sort of, you know, the reason why he doesn't get a D or an F the way that like most Raptor fans would probably give him this year is because he was actually really important to what the Raptors did. And overall, he was good. Overall, he was the team's second best player at the end of the day. Uh, and that matters. And so I, I can't give him anything lower than that. But I think C plus is probably where I balance it off. Just talking to you, I think. Um, and also, I felt really guilty about my grade. Um, so I think <laughs> I'm going to leave it off as a C plus for Fred Van Vliet. He was the one that was toughest on. Um, yeah. Spoiler alert, I gave one A. Uh, and I think that's an obvious one. Um and I, I was sort of flirting around with where I'd give Pascal Siakam. That was sort of where I was going to be multiple, and I might change that up. But we're we're jumping a little bit ahead. Do you have anything else to add to your Fred VanVleet uh, portion did, of it? I think you're spot on with, like, if we had divided this into two halves, the latter half would probably be closer to an A. Um, Pirtle, yeah. obviously, and we'll, I don't want to get too much into Pirtle, but he obviously opened game Freddie's game up. The pick Changed and roll was became probably their best uh, go-to play throughout the year. And yeah. And I don't know if Freddie's assist percentage went up during that time too, but a lot came through that. And um, it had to have. Yeah. And it, it just looked more natural for him. And then also on the defensive end, it's true. And I think he got healthier as the year yeah. went on too. Masai mentioned that in the presser that when Freddie's healthy, he is an all NBA player. And it's true. You, he, it, I was saying being the year. Pardon as me? you're saying this, as you're saying this, I'm like, C plus feels harsh. The guy was yeah, broken. I mean, <laughs> he you know, was we, broken. <laughs> He was, and I, I was, I would say, like his knees looked swampy, like they looked like he was really having trouble moving, and he became more limber as the season went on. So, yeah, um, you know, you have to take it in an amalgam, and again, there's expectations on where we wanted Freddie to be this year, and and I didn't think he met them. So, I don't think you're, I think it's a little harsh, but I don't think it's that far off. You're, you're, yeah. So the way that I sort of framed it in my brain, because I think a couple of things as you're sort of speaking, I'm like, yes, the assist percentage did go up, but also like the turnover percentage did not, which is such a huge yep. thing that makes this Raptors team really go is the fact that they're such a low turnover team. And we saw it in the games where Fred Van Vliet was not there. <laughs> the Raptors were dead last in assist percentage. They're still not a very high assist uh, percentage team overall. They don't move the ball that much. But when past, when Fred was out, it was just like, you, you have no point guard. He matters so much to what this team does. He is so important and so integral, but I can't look at Fred Van Vliet from the year before and look at Fred Van Vliet, at least at the start of this year and say, these are sort of comparable players, especially on the defensive end and with the shooting. Like those are two of the biggest things that you need from Fred. Yeah. And and those are two things that he just didn't have. And unfortunately it was because his body wasn't there and we saw it as the season went along and he started to get back into, you know, the health. Um, but those things rebounded. So I'm, 
the reason why I'm, I feel comfortable giving him the C plus is because I don't expect this to be the player next year. And I think we're talking about uh, a player who gets an A probably next year, more so than the player that we have this year. So I'm fine with this being sort of like the one down year, um, mm. but it does feel kind of harsh. It does. A B minus. Well, B minus. Why not? It's the summertime. Everybody. I mean, happy. if we average each other out, we're B minus. So that's there true. We go. That is that is very true. Okay. So let's go to the two guard, at least at the latter half of the season. OG Ananobi. You had to give OG Ananobi a grade. What would you give OG? So I think I will grow old and die on the OG hill. Like I he may never come to fruition the way I perhaps have envisioned, or lots of people, but um I'm gonna I'm gonna be there to the bitter end. So I gave him okay. an A minus. Yeah. Um, and you know, it took a little while for him to get into form. Again, injuries, um, a little bit of kind of this team figuring out each other out who gets touches, what does he do, where does he stand? Um, there there was a moment where it looked like he'd figured out his penetration and his balance and his body control. And then there was a moment where it looked like he was a bull in a china shop again and drawing offensive fouls all the time, even though I think he unfairly gets charged or gets called on those offensive fouls more than he should. Agree. But towards the end of the year, it really kind of all came together. Like his mid-range, um, his mid-range, he was executing his mid-range really well. He was hitting the three-pointers as we know. And it looked like maybe this was finally the next step in the evolution of OG Ananobi, even though if it weren't, it'd be okay. But um, yeah, I came off this year of really feeling that way. He, his two point percentage, three point percentage is way up. His rim attempts are up. His rim field goal percentage is up. So everything's going in the right direction. And he's, in my opinion, if, if all NBA teams were positionless, he would be, first team maybe second team all nba so yeah for defensively he's just been absolutely spectacular i completely agree with that i also sort of what is the word i'm looking for vacillated oscillated between being an a minus and a b plus for uh for an og and an ob um and ultimately i think if i had to just look at the last two months of the season OG Ananobi gets an A plus for me. I'm right there with you in terms of like, I'm going to forever be a believer in OG Ananobi. I think what he does is so, is so important and so vital to this team. I think a lot of people sort of slot him in this three and D role, which we've seen this season. He is not, he can put the ball on the floor. You mentioned it, um, that mid range shots start to come along a bit. Yes, he does get called for far too many offensive fouls, but he's shown the ability to like pass out, out of the post. He's shown the ability to score there. We've seen that sort of come along. We've seen ISO OG. And I think there's a lot more to his game than just sort of being relegated to a three and D spot. And we saw that in that that last month and a half of the season, he was just like, that's the best that you can, like, I think, hope from whatever year OG. Like, that was, that was so much fun to watch. And I want more of that from OG Ananobi. Yeah. But I can't ignore that there was a sort of bull in the China shop uh, element to his game at the beginning of the year, especially. And I think a lot of that is health. I think he, he had like a thumb issue or a finger issue, was it, at the beginning of the year? Uh, there was something there. And that, those mid-range shots, none of them hit. <laughs> OG ISO turnover almost <laughs> immediately. You can sort of factor that in. And I think that that's, because I'm judging the entire season, that's not something that I can ignore either, which is why I sort of had him at B+. Um, but the fact of the matter is, he should be on an all-defensive team. Um, and he was this team's best defender. He did lead, lead the NBA in steals. I think all of that matters. So you know what? I'm feeling generous. OG Ananobi, you get an A- minus today. I, you know, as we were both speaking, I almost feel like an A. I don't know. I just the yeah. more I'm here, I'm thinking about it. The more you I'm talking to it. A plus, hundred yeah. percent, <laughs> perfect. And I was like, yes. Um, uh, no, I, I, I can't argue with that. So uh, you give him an A, and I give him an A minus. So yeah, that sort of averages it out. A good season, OG Ananobi. I, I, you know, maybe. <laughs> Maybe there's like this like immigrant parent in me who's like, you need to work harder. Uh, <laughs> let's drop you down to a B. But no, I, I think he's just what he's shown, the the steps that he's taken in his game. I think when we talk about some of these other starters, we're we're talking about some of them taking a step back. We just did it with Fred Van Vliet. 
I don't think that we're having this conversation about OG Ananobi. I don't know that we're looking at him having taken a step back this season. I think we're looking at growth and development in different areas of his game. Uh, 67 games too. That's like, what, 20 more than he played last year? Like, you know, you're still like, there's like 15 to 20 games still missing there, but uh, much, much better than the last few years as well. So health being there as well. I think, yeah, I think it'd be rude to give him anything less than that. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with my A minus. You've given him an A uh, and we can push forward to a guy who potentially makes the all NBA team. and don't know. Um, but Pascal Siakam, what are your thoughts on Pascal Siakam? What grade would you give the man, the myth, the legend, the star himself? This might be crazy. I gave him a b i gave him a b plus. um okay so we're really? on kind of the same i i you know i kind of dove into the stats a little bit and it wasn't as great as i had remembered in comparison to last year and really what this comes down i mean pascal is great and i am i'm comfortable saying i'm okay with him being a number one option on a team maybe one b is ideal but i'm okay and with that comes this great expectation right the great responsibility great expectation it's very clear that he is number one on the hierarchy of the raptors team and so he has to bear the brunt of the responsibility that this team uh uh underperformed i i think um and so when i put that in combination with like with essentially not much better of a year than last year um i just kind of give him an you know one thumbs up like an average score essentially I'm with you on all of those things. I think if once again, like for a lot of these guys, the season, it's so long that if we break them down into parts, the beginning of Pascal Siakam's season, A+. plus. Like again, just like what he was able to do. And then of course the groin injury happens against the Dallas Mavericks and that sort of changes things when he comes back into the fold. But I'm with you in that someone needs to take the brunt of this team sort of faltering and that a lot of that is going to be shouldered on the stars which is why I was so harsh on Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam because I think both of them should shoulder a lot of that um I, I like I think with with Fred as I said the B minus I gave him a B minus it's not as harsh as a C plus um so but I think a lot of that sort of falls on the fact that like we needed your shooting and like that the, your, your role is to sort of do that but but also he fulfilled you know his role in, in other places as well being the facilitator being the point guard the only point guard on this team um and with Pascal, it's the same thing. It's it's you're the star. And in these moments, I think really what sort of made him fall down to the B for me, and I'm comfortable with a B or a B plus. I sort of, that's that's where I was sort of differing between. Uh, he wasn't touching an A for me just because I thought far too often, especially in the second half of the year, um, as the Raptors are sort of making a push, he kind of got lost in it a little bit. Mm. We saw a lot of that, especially in fourth quarters where it just felt like, okay, the ball's not finding Pascal. Um, and, and he's not demanding, like, I think as a star, the offense should run more through you. And as the Raptors sort of struggle in the clutch, you're looking for the ball to go to your star and your star to sort of bring you home. And that's not something that we saw a lot from Pascal Siakam, especially in the second half of the year. I think we saw more of that in the beginning of the year and it was great to watch. Um, and, uh, yeah, so to me, that's sort of like. I just, I felt like he was a little too invisible at parts in the season. And that's not something that you want from someone that you want to be your all NBA guy, someone who could potentially make, you know, the super max, someone who's supposed to sort of carry you home. You don't need your guy to be invisible in those moments. And I thought far too often Pascal Siakam um, in that second part of the year just sort of faded. And yeah. Well, that, that struck me as well when I was kind of critiquing him, right? Again, because he's the number one option, but but again, I'm also torn with how much of this is system and how much of this is just, again, not yeah. having a real point guard to direct it, right? I mean, it's one thing to fade away and shy away from the moment. It's another to just not have the opportunity to get the ball or get plays designed for you or get good plays designed for you, you know? And so yeah. I am in agreement with you. I think ultimately he didn't step up when we really needed him to. But I also don't think he was given the, you know, and and this is the kind of the dilemma with arguing about the Raptors is like, was this team set up for failure or are these players just not good enough to the expectations set upon them? I think that's more than fair. Like, I, I completely agree with you on that. And I think the way that I sort of took this exercise and why I think these exercises are fun is because there's so many different ways that people can look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, it's like, okay, these are the cards that you're dealt. These are the rules that you have. How did you fulfill? How did you sort of mm-hmm. fulfill them? Because I think that next year we're talking about this team very different. I think Pascal Siakam is a star. Like, I'm, I'm 
so pro Pascal Siakam. I think he can be your guy in those moments. Same. I think we saw him be that guy. Same thing with Fred Van Vliet. I think Fred Van Vliet is an all-star. I think Fred Van Vliet, um, you know, is is an elite defender. Like I mentioned, he should have been on a defensive team last year. Um, he was rightfully an all-star. He's this team's best playmaker, best point guard, and the only point guard on the team. OG Ananobi, I think he's phenomenal. Pascal Siakam, the reason why we're grading these starters so high is because there is a dearth of talent on this team. There's a reason why when the trade deadline came around, everybody wanted every single Raptors because the starters are good. It was the bench that was the problem, <laughs> as we've seen. Uh, and so, like, th- the same goes for Pascal Siakam. And it's just like, you know, you came into the season wanting to be top five, right? Like, that's that's what he came into the season wanting to be. Um You've been all, you've been second team all NBA. You've been third team all NBA coming off of an all NBA, you know, um, ballot last year and hoping to make one this year, although probably seems a little tight. Need to make one next year if you want to make the Supermax. You're sort of in this tier with these stars of the league. And it's the same way that I would sort of judge any of those other stars of the league. I'm just trying to like, Pascal, this is your team. And your imprint was not felt. I'm, I'm judging him, I think, a little bit harshly than I normally would as just sort of a Raptor fan defending him uh, in these spaces. And I think that's like, that's just because you're you're the number one guy. And if you're going to be the number one guy, these are the things that we're going to need from you. If I'm judging you from this super max player level talent, these are where I need you to sort of step up. These are the moments. And it just felt like far too often we didn't get to see that Pascal, especially in fourth quarters, it felt like, and especially towards the latter half of the season. And by that, I just mean all-star break forward because the way that the NBA breaks the season up first half is like pre-all-star, which is like three quarters of the season. Uh, and then the last half is just the quarter of the season, but like still needed more from Pascal and didn't have it. And that's why the team is 41-41. I have to, I have to blame you a little bit for it. So you're yeah, going to be I, plus for me. Totally. You also, you know, if you're going to be the primary scorer, like – and you're not a big, you can't really shoot 33% from that's three. It. Like you just, okay. like that's Thank 30, you. he's 30th percentile for forwards. And like, you know, it's, if you, like, again, if you want to be a superstar, if you want to be the guy on our team, you've got to be able to do that. So it's okay. Like you've expanded in other ways. His assist percentage is up, his turnover percentage is down, yeah. his usage is up, blah, blah, blah. But you got to bang your threes. And so that's- like- that's a large part of it for me as well as going through my notes to try to like find what my justifications yeah. were. And a large part of it was Philip shooting has gone down, but in general, you know, that three point shooting is, is down. And that's what this Raptors team needs. It's something that, you know, me and Amit have talked about a few times on here, which is you are going to start or you're currently starting three guys who can't shoot Pascal, Scotty and Jakob. You need Pascal to develop that. You need Pascal to not be so below league average. He needs to right. be able to take that up. And um, I think that like the the three point shooting just not being there is a knock on Pascal Siakam. Um, you just you just need more of it. You just need more of it. I told you if you wanted to be top five, Pascal, come up with that pull up three point shooting and you're there. But uh, until until you even have a catch and shoot three, we can't be having you in that conversation. So let's move forward to the. Um, a rookie of the year has been named. I was going to call him reigning rookie of the year still, but not not a thing anymore. No longer. <laughs> that title has been taken from him. But Scotty Barnes coming off of his sophomore year, what grade do you give Scotty Barnes? I um I want to give Scotty the benefit of the doubt here. I still think a second year player deserves a lot of wiggle room as far as criticism. I also think particularly for him in the environment that we now know the Raptors culture was even more so so i gave him a b plus okay um and like you said earlier a lot of vacillation with these players and scotty too there were times where he was a wraith like he didn't exist on the floor he's just kind of floating around yeah and then there were times that he was playing like an all-star so i mean it's it it you knew it was there and part of the fact that it wasn't always there means that you're going to detract from his grade um pretty much across the board his percentages were down um and and you saw that in 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 games right like the like the combination of lack of execution and and lack of effort really because part of what makes Scotty such a dynamic player is his enthusiasm and his energy and his effort and when you it's very clear and obvious when that's turned off um, and so that in combination with kind of like a plateaued or plateaued production and fall off on efficiency, 
I'm in, you know, now I'm thinking about a B plus is almost kind of kind um, in that respect, but I, but I do give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I, I, you know what? I agree with you. I gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I was probably harshest on him and, and Fred and I gave Fred a much harsher grade than I gave Scotty Barnes just because Fred was your all-star last year. And you sort of, you, I've sort of looked at Scotty Barnes as kind of the cherry on top to what this season could be, at least coming into the year. I'm like, if he takes this next step, mm -hmm. that's, that's more of a cherry on top, but you needed what Fred Van Vliet did, right? He wasn't your cherry on top. He was your team. <laughs> like you sort of, you needed the things that he brought. And I, and to Scotty, why um, I sort of saw him as a cherry on top is maybe naively sort of looked at his production in his rookie year. And it was like, if he can replicate that, which is, you know, yeah, 15.3 points when you look at it or the point total he did, but efficiency, as you mentioned, down across the board. And I think coming into the the league, the knock on Scotty or the sort of thing that people were down on was his shooting. And first year, his shooting was spectacular, right? Like it was, it was really good. And it's a large reason for why the Raptors were good um was because you had you you could sort of trust Scotty Barnes shot and across the board outside of free throw shooting everything else has gone down and that level of efficiency dip I think mattered um also defensively I think he took a step back especially in the yeah. beginning of the year um and th and that also really hurt if I'm going to knock Fred Van Vliet for that I've got to knock Scotty Barnes for that as well because he has the facilities and the capabilities to be a good defender I think quite often he just looked lost sometimes um it, and there, there were sort of, especially like growing pains and moments with him running the offense um, where you're starting to see, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe not there yet. Maybe that's not the role for him. But when the Raptors moved him to a five, he did look like that all-star that you're mentioning. He did sort of do all the things that you want a Scotty Barnes to do. He was setting really hard screens. He was finishing. When Scotty Barnes remembers that he's the biggest and most skilled player on the court, like <laughs> the biggest guy who also has the most skills for a guy that size, he is just completely dominant. And when the Raptors moved him to the five, we saw that. And it was so much fun to watch that Scotty Barnes, but we did not get that throughout. And, you know, when, you, when you're seeing reports of the Masai Ujiri flying down to have a meeting with Scotty Barnes when they're on a road trip and uh, all of these different reports about his work ethic and all these other things, like you can see that there's some 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 things happening behind the scenes that, of course, we're not totally privy to. Um, I gave Scotty overall, I ended up giving him a B. I, I don't mind bumping that to a B plus because I do sort of I'm, now I'm sort of looking at the team as a whole. And I do think Fred Van Vliet should, I don't want to give him the same grade. Did I give Pascal a B plus? I don't want to give Pascal, Fred and Scotty similar grades. Cause I do think they're sort of on different playing fields. I think Pascal yep. should get a higher grade and I think Scotty should be in the middle. And I think Fred should, should sort of bear the brunt of having the lowest out of those three uh, or out of everybody in the starting five, just because that first half, the shooting and the defense really did take a, but dip, and that's not to say that Fred was bad. He was just injured for the year, and I think that that sort of plays a, a part in all of this. Um, so maybe like B minus B, and then B plus for for those three uh, in how I'm sort of doing it there. Um, but growth isn't linear for Scotty, and we did see a tick up, <laughs> and so it it's really positive, at least for me. And the reason why I'm more optimistic giving him this grade and I'm not dinging him too hard is because the second half of the year, he was really good. <laughs> like, he, was. He, he was so much better. And if your struggles as a young guy happen early on, that's fine. Um, especially if you show that improvement. And one thing that I do love about Scotty Barnes is, you know, he could have three terrible quarters and he'll come out in the fourth quarter and just like completely dominate. And I think that like level of, I'm not going to dwell on my struggles is something that we haven't had from some of these guys. I think that Pascal, you can see him sort of carry that when he isn't playing well or shooting well. You can see Fred Van Vliet want to shoot out of it when he's struggling in that way, where I don't think we have that from Scotty Barnes. I think that there's a level of poison maturity in that as well. So I do want to give him credit there for that. So yeah, I think I think overall I stand at a B for, for Scotty Barnes. Yeah, I kind of think about it like, I don't know if he's got that resilience, but it's almost like he's sitting dormant and he needs to be ignited. And, you know, yes. I think, I think part of that, again, <laughs> that's, a, that's the knock. I'm, I completely agree that that, that, that to me, that's a knock, but sometimes when he is struggling, like not just sitting dormant, but like he's actually trying in the first half and it's just not working yeah. for him. He can still right. sort of let that wash over, but I completely agree with you on with that. And I think that that's, that's sort of a knock where you need him to, to wake up a little right. bit earlier. And it ties, it ties back to Freddie, right? Or, or Nick Nurse. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For that matter, and, and you know, it's like you need to identify that Scotty needs to get going early. Yeah. Like, and, and that means like small little plays or finding him in a mismatch. There were so many in this. I, I don't want to rag on Freddie too much, but there's so many times where a lot of Scotty, sometimes OG, are just kind of standing there. Yeah. And it's like they want the pass, but they're not getting the pass. And it's like, I think, you know, and it's crowded for Scotty to operate. Pascal eats into what Scotty wants to do. OG does. Pirtle did eventually. Even yeah. Freddie does because Scotty is comfortable bringing the ball up. And so I think he had a lot of trouble just figuring out where he fits and how. And before, as a rookie, you're deferential, right? Like you're just happy to be here. Second year, you want to spread your wings. And he wasn't really given that opportunity by the coaching staff or by the players. And so I kind of don't blame him for being dormant, right? And then once that match dropped on that puddle of oil, you saw what happened and you saw how explosive he could be. And I, the last thing I'll say is, you know, we're watching in these playoffs, guys are getting benched because it's not the best lineup to send out there, right? So Sabonis right. sat for a while and Trey Lyles came out. Randall was off for a while. Uh, Jordan Poole's been sitting for a while. I ca- I've been wanting to see Scotty come off the bench. I know it's not great for his ego necessarily or for his development, but it's going to give him so much more space to operate. Um, and so, yeah, that's just like... I think that's one thing I feel like nurse was just really obstinate about who starts and who plays. And we saw when Gary came off the bench, how beneficial that was. And I think Scotty would kind of benefit from the same. I, you know what I, the, the one game that Nick nurse did play sort of Scotty and Gary off the bench that worked really well because, you know, and something that I, I, um, like me and I said, I think have talked a lot about this on here, which is that like Gary Trent Jr. is not Jamal Crawford, right? Like he's not Lou Williams. And that's to say like, he's not even like, he doesn't have that sort of Norm Powell either, which well, that's more his point. I think he's more similar to that at the very least, which is, um, you know, when you have your sixth man who is sort of your, your ISO scorer, your microwave scorer, he's got to also be a good playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's, that's, part of the game like even with will barton right now like you you have someone yes who's you know more naturally a two guard but can be your sort of one you need someone who can play make and that's not something gary trent jr has he can create for himself but he can't create for others and so when you are coming in with your bench lineup and you're the main guy how can you create for everybody else when you're the defense when you have the defensive focus on you and so to me scotty and gary together there that Perfect. completely changes it because you have the spacing that Gary has, right? Sometimes when Scotty plays those sort of hybrid lineups with like a Pascal, it doesn't make sense because you just, okay, so no spacing <laughs> is, is the goal here. So you have the sort of spacing, but you also have someone who can create uh, with Scotty Barnes. And I, I think that that sort of works well. And, you know, I think people get really up in arms of over the conversation of if Scotty should start or if she should come off the bench as though it's a demotion. And I don't think it is, but he can still start, in my opinion. You can still have him as your starter. But I think those hybrid lineups that you're playing with the bench, because the Raptors don't have five bench guys that they can throw out anyway, so there's got to be some sort of hybrid lineup. I think that's when you should get a lot of on-ball reps for Scotty Barnes, and I think they should work with a Gary Trent Jr. Um, because you just need that sort of spacing that he offers. He also has like great connection with OG Ananobi, so maybe that's sort of your like hybrid bench lineups that you're working in, and then Fred and Pascal with the bench can be that other hybrid. I, like I'm interested in seeing what those rotations look like, but those three guys together make a lot of sense to me, where you yeah. have Scotty with the ball in his hands, because like, I don't, like, I think people get really caught up in the fact that Fred Van Vliet takes away Scotty Barnes' possessions and on-ball reps, which is like, first of all, 
everyone needs like Luka Doncic has been dying for a point guard that's why they finally brought in Kyrie Irving after getting rid of Jalen Brunson you need to have a secondary ball handler you need to have a point guard um and five family is that and the fact of the matter is like Scotty Barnes handle is not tight enough to get into the teeth of the defense how often do we see like the Raptors get real paint touches when you're getting Scotty Barnes is the guy who's handling the ball and, and, and initiating offense is very rare. And how late do they get into the offense? Why, you know, why does so much of the offense get sort of initiated from above the break, like at the top of the key, like why, why don't we get in a little bit more? Why don't things happen a little bit faster? It's because he's still working and developing those reps. And I think that that works much better in hybrid lineups with the bench, because I yeah. think that we can see that growth from Scotty Barnes. I'm not saying that he's not, he can never be, he won't ever be. He's not a magic Johnson type. Like, I don't, that's fine. Like I, there's no ceiling that I'm ever going to put on a guy like Scotty Barnes. I'm just like dealing with the comments that I know are going to come. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'm never going to put that sort of limit on Scotty Barnes, but we know right now with where he is best with the starters is in that sort of Jacoperto role, which sucks because Jacoperto is right there. Um, and where he sort of bench with the best, with, uh, where he's best with the bench is as that sort of guard, which is, it's interesting. Now that like, I'm remembering that Jacoperto is here. I'm like really stuck on this idea of like, yeah, when he starts, it's unfortunate because you're not going to put the ball in his hands if you have Fred Van Vliet there and you're not, and you're not running the screens to... of him. He's not, yeah, he's not, you know, you don't want him just standing in the dunker spot. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? It, it'll it be an interesting question for, for the um, future coach. I'm sure it's something that's being run in the interviews a lot and, you know, rotations being a big question. And I, I 100% agree with you. And Scotty loves to distribute the ball. That's kind of like why I liked having Doughton out there is because he's one of the few guys out there who really enjoys um, moving the ball. Right. Like their first thought is to pass the ball, not to score. And and that was kind of rare with the Raptors this year. And on that note about Gary and Scotty, I kind of looked at the core four being OG, Pirtle, Freddie and Pascal. Yeah. Um, When it's Scotty off, they're they're in 230 possessions. They're plus 10.3 per 100 possessions. When Scotty and Gary are off, that core four is plus 20 per 100 possessions in only 147 so they can survive without it right is the point and you know we'll talk we the depth is an issue yeah and part of it is that we didn't get the right guys together and part of that is we're just super top heavy on in the starters but i've been dying on this uh bench gary scotty hill all year so maybe i'm just kind of getting it out of my system but i'm not mad at it i'm not mad at it um not at all um okay so finally the guy that i gave the highest grade to the man himself what'd you give big smack in a nice shiny a it was so fun Uh, to give him one because i was i was struggling with the rest of this team (laughs) yeah and you know part of that is that his role is was simple yeah um Part of it is that the contrast before he was there and after was stark. <laughs> um, but yeah, he had... I feel like I feel like if we just got rid of a point guard and then we traded for Fred Van would be like, hey, we get rid of like a Pascal Siakam type and we trade for him. Hey, like exactly. it just so happened that we didn't have one of you before. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, there's certainly some some bias there as far as like new and pretty. But I mean, it, it was very obvious. He led the team in points per shot attempt. Like he was just extremely efficient down low. We talked about how he opened up Freddie's game demonstratively. Like the yeah. the change was just so um, evident. Yeah. yeah, and like I do think Scotty did a good job as the screener, like we were talking about. But but Pirtle was just very clear on the defensive end. Um, you know, he was the with him on the floor. The Raptors had a minus ten on defense, so that that's a good thing, right? Like yeah, the, yeah. for one hundred possessions and. Yeah, and in his or sorry, in his on off, and then with him on the floor, net total is plus fourteen. Like he just he just changed this team, and you know it's funny because Birch kind of did something similar last year, and we were right. like, "Well, Birch is amazing," but but that didn't really pan out, and and so I'm careful. You know, maybe there's something to be said about Pirtle next year, and teams will figure him out. But but as far as what we saw, he was kind of the real deal as far as what this team needed. 
Yeah, no disrespect to, to Ken Birch. I, I feel like Jack Roberto is a clear upgrade there. And he, he does a lot of the things, like uh, he does a lot of the things that the Raptors needed, right? You needed a rim protector. I think the reason why those Birch numbers look good is yes, Birch is undersized, but just having someone who can anchor your defense, just having someone at the back line of that matters so much. Um, and, and offensively, you mentioned it, the way that he sort of opened up everything for this team. This is a team that's going to miss a lot of shots. They're going to need a lot of offensive boards. He was absolutely great at that, which is why his efficiency is so incredibly high is because like every single tip in just went in, which was um, amazing. But also he's such a great screener. And I, you know, I've been caught up on the spacing with this team, but screening also improves your spacing. It opens up things for your guys. So having one of the best screeners in the NBA quite frankly, because like we, we just look at how he sort of changed this team matters a lot. And also just having a roller for a team that doesn't, you know, run a lot of like easy offense, just pick and roll. Um, it's because they've really struggled having that guy who can set a screen and, and finish. <laughs> um, but having Yaka Pirtle completely changes everything for this team. Um, it, you know, I, I think that people have been really stuck on how Pascal sort of looked um, in, in, you know, after that, and I, I don't, I think the spacing really hurts for sure. You know, you're removing Gary Trent Jr. and you're adding in a guy, another guy who can't shoot. But um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'm like looking at those two as like two people who can't exist together. I don't think that that's a thing that we'll see long-term. And it really did open up a lot of things for um for Fred Van Vliet there. So, and it opens up a lot of things for the Raptors offense. So to me, it's easy. He gets an A, he gets an A because defensively he was perfect. Offensively he was perfect. And Everything about him is perfect. I love you, Jakob Pertl. <laughs> Thank Agreed. you for the ring, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's pivot a little bit and okay. let's start to grade things outside. Um, unless you have anything else to add to the starting five conversation, I wanted to sort of take a step back and grade some some bigger things with this Raptors team as a whole. No, I'm happy to move on. All right, so let's start off with Let's start off with the trade deadline. Let's start off with Jakob Pertl specifically and, and the, the trades that the Raptors didn't make. If you had to give the Raptors a grade for the trade deadline, what would you give them? So it's it's tough to grade because we ultimately didn't make the playoffs. So yeah. when the tr- when the trade dead, I mean, I don't look at Pertl as a transaction to win now as in win in the latter half of that year, although I did expect better results than we got. Yeah. He's a long-term piece. He's somebody that like Boston had their eye on and yeah. Warriors had their eye on. So, you know, it's kind of winning by withholding, uh, you know, imagine the like Boston having Pirtle right now for the next five yeah. years would be horrible. So there's that piece. Um, they might win a chip this year if they have him, to be honest. I, I think so. I think like, he'd be think kind of the missing piece. I think my favorite. Like, I, yeah. 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 Al Horford and just it, looks old right now, guys. And so, uh, like... I graded kind of a longer term thing that I assume we're signing Pirtle. So I, I gave it a B plus a minus range. Um, part of this is I also, we can't really know until we see what happens with Gary and Freddie, right? If they walk for nothing and we didn't trade anything for them, then I would downgrade the deadline. If we sign and trade them and get a little bit something for it, then I'm okay with that. If we resign them, then that's like another discussion altogether. Um, but I didn't want to sell OG for however many picks Memphis was sending us. I like I you were again, we're watching the playoffs and there's a small ball is, again, very important. Having guys that are big, uh, just kind of in stature, can hold their own on defense, can shoot, can penetrate a little bit, can rebound like that's OG in a nutshell. So I wasn't interested in trading him at all. Um, and I was OK if the right package came along for Gary or Freddie. It didn't. So I was, I wasn't disappointed. I was a little bit surprised that neither got traded anyway. So B plus a minus for me. Uh, I like that. So I, I, um, I wrote about this for Yahoo sports, um, plugging it again, but to me, it was, I was happier than most people. I I think, um, I think I'm going to go with the B. I think I'm still going to give them a, a worse. I'm not, tougher grader than you are I'm, I might be a mean teacher it's great that I didn't get down to that line of work but um I think I'm, I think I'm gonna give them a B I'm just gonna give them a B I think that yes I think you're right that like a lot of things can change from now until the end of the year you know I asked I said last week to grade Masai Jerry and Bobby Webster and he gave them an incomplete he was like, I'm not going to give them a letter grade because it just remains to be seen and this summer matters so much and I, I agree with that I think with the trade deadline you sort of alluded to that 
it's probably a similar thing where this grade can change <laughs> dramatically depending on what happens in the offseason. But the reason why I'm, I'm not going to go so high as to give them a B plus or an A minus is because you waited too long. And I know I'm saying like grade mm. the trade deadline itself, but this was a move that should have been made earlier in the year and i think waiting until like the final week to make this deal um was just too long and and i think that that needs to factor into the the move as well is why did you have to wait until february to make this deal that people had been calling for a year ago uh you know at the very least make it some point during the season um you know so, so to me, that's sort of where I'm, I'm going to give them a knock, but I completely agree with you. I think that making a trade for Ojan and Obi for a bunch of picks makes absolutely no sense, especially if you do the Acapurtle deal, because you're you're planning on signing Acapurtle, presumably. That's why you would give up a 2024 first uh, for him. So then why <laughs> would you then trade one of your main pieces to just get a bunch of picks back like are you planning for the future are you planning for right now it doesn't really make sense that that would to me signify that the front office doesn't know what direction they want to head in and don't know what they want to do um and so yes I'm I'm pro what they did at the deadline I'm pro not giving away again Fred Van Vliet it doesn't make sense in my opinion to trade Fred Van Vliet when you're bringing in Yaka Pertle you need a point guard we saw how Yak just completely opened up Fred Van Vliet's game if you didn't have a point guard Yaka Pertle would not be um would not be as impactful on the offensive end as we've seen him be with a Fred Van Vliet. We saw it, you know, the 20 assist game that Fred had. And then when he was gone, what was it? The Raptors were like, had what, 16 assists in, in one game, less than that. 16 is high. It was like six assists in a game or something ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, you need to have like six is impossible. I don't remember what the number was guys, <laughs> but um. So, so to me, like training Fred Van Vliet makes absolutely no sense. I think Gary Trent Jr. Yeah, and honestly, I've kind of gone back and forth with the idea of trading a Gary, uh, an OG and an Obi. I love OG. I would want him to stay. I would not want to move off of him at all, um, and especially not for picks. But it would not surprise me if OG wants a bigger role, and the Raptors don't know that yeah. they can find that here with a Pascal Siakam and a Scotty Barnes sort of emerging as your as your two main guys. Um, you know, because he's always going to have less shots than both of them, is especially as Scotty continues to develop. And then you also have Fred Van Vliet. To me, it would make sense that one of those guys, namely OG, because he seems to have the highest trade value and he's not Scotty Barnes, um, gets you bench players in return. But it's got to be for a full bench. It can't just be for picks. That doesn't make any sense to me. And there didn't seem to be a deal there on the table. And that's Partly if, if OG wants out, I think. If OG wants to stay here, then like, why would you give away a 25-year-old who can do everything that OG and Anobi can do? It doesn't make any sense. But um, that's not part of the conversation. The conversation is what deal did the Raptor, like, I, I think you can factor in what deals they didn't do. And I think any of the proposed deals that were on the table that we at least heard of didn't make any sense to me. So I'm glad that they didn't make any of those moves. I would have been really upset if they traded for Yak and then gave away Fred Van Vliet. Um, so I'm glad that they didn't do that. I'm glad they didn't give away OG and Anobi. But I'm just upset with them for waiting so long to make the Yakapurtle deal. One thing that I will sort of give them credit for is they didn't give up this pick. They gave up next year's pick. And I think that that's sort of like they, they understood that, yeah, there's there's a possibility that this team doesn't make the playoffs this year, but we're not doing it for this season. We're doing it for next. And a lot of what I wrote about was it doesn't matter so much if the Raptors like to me, this season doesn't matter. Who cares? It's more so what does this team look like? And are you giving them a fair chance? And I think you weren't giving this core a fair chance before the offseason came along without having a center. That's yeah. my biggest thing is like, if you don't have a center, like with, and I mentioned this a lot, which is, which is with DeMar and, and Kyle, we know what their limitations were. And so constantly they were like DeMar Carroll, PJ Tucker, Serge Ibaka, anyone who can be a good perimeter defender and can shoot the three. We're like, bring them over. We need someone like that with Serge, obviously anchoring the defense as well. I mean, he was a four when he came in, but um, so you need to have those those people to mask the deficiencies of a DeMar DeRozan. We needed a three and D wing so badly. And that's why Damari Carroll came over. And it wasn't until the Raptors exhausted all options to build around that DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry core that they decided to move off of one of them. I didn't think that it was fair to come into the season where obviously Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. are free agents and say, we're ready to move off of one of you guys or we're ready to commit to you guys as a core until you actually gave them the chance to prove what they can look like as a unit. And you needed to have a center to find that. In the same way you needed a 3 and D wing alongside DeMar DeRozan, you needed a center alongside this team. 
And, and so I was just upset that they waited so long because I don't think 21 or 25 or however many games was enough time. Uh, at this point, I'm just rambling, but all that to say, you waited too long. Outside of that, good deal. Good trade. Well, I, so I'll agree with you, especially because in the, in the end of the year press conference, Masai talked about yeah. identifying something wrong with this team early, like November. So my, you know, my reaction is okay. So you knew, but I'm also, I've been a big uh, defender of the 6-9 vision. I was pretty much full-on anti-trading for a center um, for the last year and a half, I would say, because I think there was an innovation here that potentially found arbitrage, you know, like the idea of having a bunch of athletic long people just rotating and moving around was a good idea and could potentially still come to fruition. Obviously, that means more shooting, more playmaking ability. You can't just be long and athletic and that's it. Um, And I think the fault of this team this year, if I was going to assign percentages, a third would go at least maybe to the hubris of management, right? They really thought they were onto something and they really thought that their genius or their creativity could overcome very clear flaws in this team. And so I think they waited because they had invested in this concept and they really wanted to see it through. And Precious had a a terrible start to the year and he wasn't really, he wasn't a center. He wasn't playing well at center and then he got injured. So the Raptors weren't ever able to really see Precious in the role that I think they envisioned his third year becoming. And so it was kind of like, crud, do we, do we bail on this idea or do we, uh, you know, push through? And I think, like, to your point, they needed to see what this team was like with a real center before they blew up all the other pieces. So, yeah, um, no, I, I, think, I completely agree with yeah. that. And I want to say, like, I, I was pro Vision 6-9 as well. Um, and to me, where I started to sort of change my opinion was at the start of this year, where I think by November, it was clear that, like, the the defense, for one, the Raptor shooting last year, I think, didn't translate or didn't transfer over into this year but two yeah. it was just like the defense is not something that they can keep up it was very yeah. clear that like okay they're, they're they can't do this defensively you can't ask for everyone to play up a position and take that beating on it might work for just a possession burn them out. but it, it entirely and i think that like okay once you recognize that fairly early on um make the changes to to bring in a, a rim protector we saw what the numbers looked like when they had christian coloco or precious Uchua in yeah. at the five versus when they didn't and so to me, it was just like, yeah, I completely agree with you that it was the hubris of the front office to not make that move sooner um, because you saw that it just, it was not going to work because defensively they just didn't have, didn't have the legs. Okay. So finally, let's get into grading this entire team as a unit. If you had to grade all starting the starting five as a whole, what grade would you give the Toronto Raptors starting five? So we're talking post trade deadline. Yes, let's do post-trade. Let's yeah, yeah, let's just focus on that. I'm gonna toss away the Gary Trent Jr. We're not even okay. gonna talk about the the early starting five. Okay. Uh so I gave them an A minus. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we we touched on a lot of a lot of the like reasons why they were great with Pertle. Um, you know, pro the, the I divided into pros and cons. Pros, they were bigger. You know, they could yeah. run a more traditional offensive structure and defensive structure and it it enabled a versatility that they didn't have before like if they want to go back into the scrambling mode which i think is effective at times in certain situations just like you're saying not sustainable for 48 minutes when you don't bring anybody off the bench so that was great um it emphasized uh van vliet it emphasized in paint scoring uh scoring in the paint it emphasized rebounding um and so i think i think from um a versatility perspective this unit is like is very like malleable and you know again looking at the playoffs that's the kind of team i want shooting being the one big problem here um and i think the cons you know why i didn't give it a full a is that there is no shooting yeah, and there's some positional redundancy that I'm quite worried about. And this is kind of where I discovered the Scotty on off, off the floor with this core four is is still very productive. And that's because Pascal 
Scotty, OG, and Pirtle really overlap. Like if we had a four circle Venn diagram, there'd be some kind of Olympic symbol thing going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, so it'd be like a smushed Olympic symbol. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's very problematic. And yeah. I acknowledge that. And I think that's stuff to work out. But in and of itself, um, I really like the starting five. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you on that. I, my grade for them is an A- minus as well, and I knocked them for the shooting. I was looking at the numbers, the starting five. Um, for any any lineup that played at least 300 minutes in the NBA, the starting five was top five in net rating and top five in defensive efficiency. They were good. <laughs> like By the metrics, you look at that sort of road trip that the Raptors had, which was disastrous, and they were one in four. By the numbers, the starting five was phenomenal. Anytime yeah. you had one or more bench player in, it just crumbled. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's a large part of it is the starting five has been good by the numbers. And it's great that Nick Nurse plays the starter so many minutes that you can just pull up 300 minutes from which other teams are like the entire year. And the Raptors are like the final X amount of games. Um, but yeah, by the numbers, top five in, in net rating, top five in defensive efficiency. And that's, you know, the, the teams ahead of them are things like the Golden State Warriors when they had, you know, Andrew Wiggins in there and um the the Denver Nuggets and the Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant like it's just like it's not Kevin Durant I don't think he's in the 300 but it's it's a lot of like the best teams in the NBA the 76ers the Boston Celtics that are ahead of the Raptors and their top five so by the numbers the starting five is very very good and finally to close this off the last question if you could give you know the vibes of the team the vibes of the starting five let's keep it to the starting five you can give their vibes a grade what grade would you give the vibes of the Toronto Raptors starting five in this case, the plus is a negative. I give it a capital F plus. Oh, the vibes. <laughs> oh, the were... plus is a negative, so even worse. <laughs> <You're> yes, like... <laughs> even worse. So the vibes were extremely not good. Um, I wrote about this recently on the Raptors Republic. You could really just feel it in your bones that something was off here. And you wanted to convince yourself that there, it wasn't. And you'd look to your friends and you'd go to Reddit or whatever. And you'd be trying to figure it out. And you don't want to you don't want to read into the psychology of players because it's just like, it's not appropriate. Like we have no idea what's going on in their back lives. We don't know what's going on, on the floor in the locker room. Right. No idea, but the vibes seemed real off. And then yeah. with the Maasai presser, it was very clear. The vibes were off. Um, there was no camaraderie. There was no optimism on the floor. The energy was like, would come and then go very quickly. And that was, you know, embodied in what we saw in Scotty um, so often, or like OG kind of, you know, hands on his hip, standing in the corner, like again. Um, and, and yeah, and c- compare that to, you know, the previous years with this team where there's just like exuberance, like bleeding, you know, into the TV screen and you'd get excited and all pumped up. And you thought, multiple times this year that that was happening that we're turning a corner it's coming here we go here comes the avalanche of fun and winning and it never came and so it was very clear that like at the core something was wrong and I thought it was that players didn't like each other based on what I knew but now I think it's players didn't like nurse I think they were over nurse nurses over them and you know it's hard to play for your commandante when you would rather you know like go AWOL. So yeah. I think vibes were F plus for me. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with, with any of the things that you said. I think, you know, we're starting to see and hear and things are starting to leak about, um, about the vibes that <laughs> start with the coach, but um, yeah, a team that was sort of built on friendships, right. <laughs> Is now just yeah a team that looks so incredibly disjointed the vibes were not immaculate for the Raptors. I would agree with that F and I'm hoping that things change. I'm hoping a new coach sort of reinvigorates life with this team. We saw them working out with each other in the summer. So I was like, yeah, the Raptors are going to be so happy. They're going to be immaculate. They're going to like each other. It did not feel like that this season, but I'm hoping things start to change. I think the, the, the less of a toll on guys' bodies, the starters like taking yeah. less of a brunt because uh, once again, they're not having to play up constantly, especially defensively. Um, and also, hopefully, ideally, you have a bench, which I think also kind of helps you have people who trust the bench so you're not playing injured guys 45 minutes a night or whatever it is. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Uh, I think we'll improve the vibes because bench guys want to get minutes and starters also need a break because they're not machines. They're real people. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, uh, Aiden. Please, once again, tell everybody where they can find you online and find your work. All on Raptors Republic, or you can follow me on Twitter at Aiden Moss. That's it. All right, perfect. And thank you so much, everyone, for joining me once again. Leave it a like, a share, a subscribe, and all of that good stuff. Peace out.